It is the 200 level. Mike Carpenter back in the basement studio for the start of, can you believe it, our fifth year. Way back in 2019, Steve Bartweiser and I did the first 200 level podcast in my old, crummy, moldy, crusty studio. We got much better digs now. But not just that, we have much better and higher expectations for Illinois football. And it is a far cry from where we were at the start of this podcast. It's an interesting position to be entering August and be looking forward to football as much as I have been, to be quite honest, in 15 years. And I want to start this podcast by comparing and contrasting a little bit 2008 post-Rose Bowl and 2023 post-Rely Bowl. And I know those are two very different things, but I think the excitement that many of us felt in 2008 and the disappointment that followed when they went five and seven and all the um, unfulfilled expectations of that team, that 2002, you can name any number of years that have made us gun shy as Illini football fans. And that's all understandable. I'm right there with you. So what makes this different? A big thing we're going to talk about later in this podcast is three things that I've come up with, three things that make this different than 2008 and why we should be not just excited about this particular season, but really the long term with Illinois football under Brett Bielma. But in addition to that, I think that you kind of have to go with almost a gut feeling. And here's what I mean by that. In 2008, coming off the Rose Bowl, I think part of the excitement was the sort of high-flying offense, the, the big names and the Juice Williams and Aurelius Ben that you had coming back, and this sense that the recruiting that was going on under Ron Zook was going to really kind of fly this thing in the stratosphere. I mean, this was not long after he got, understandably, an extension from Ron Gunther for the season that he had in 2007. So yeah, hope sprang eternal. We had a renovated Memorial Stadium ready to open up. And then really right off the bat against Missouri in that first game, a lot of the same ills that hampered Zook throughout his career happened in that first game. And I really think it came to a crushing thud or halt about a month later when you lost at home to Minnesota. If you recall, it was like this beautiful, sunny, late September day, and they had the world's biggest basketball scrimmage planned for afterwards. And we all thought we're going to beat Minnesota. We're going to start three and one and instead you lose to them and uh, you just never quite recovered. I think the primary difference starts at the top. Ron Zook and Brett Bielma, very different people. That goes without saying and very different coaches. And there's this quiet confidence that I think has been instilled in the fan base that I have not personally felt in my fandom you know, I really kind of came to consciousness as an Illini football fan, I guess, in the Tepper era. 94 was a pretty solid year when they went 8-4, and four, and probably should have been even better than that. I think the four losses they had in 1994 were by a combined 17 points or something like that. You ended up crushing East Carolina, I think, in the Liberty Bowl. So that was when I first kind of came to, and for anyone that has <clears throat> had similar experiences to me from Tepper to now... Four out of every five years have been bad, and that's not really hyperbolic. In fact, I can count on one hand the good seasons that Illinois football has had since I've really been paying attention. So if you were to ask me what makes this any different, I will start with the intangible gut-feeling quality that this quiet confidence is sort of coursing through the program at all levels. It's from the top with what you hear from the coaches, right down beneath them with all the players and what they say, whether it be media days or separate interviews they're giving. And we're going to hear plenty of that in the next month during training camp. 
but also the conversations that you hear amongst fans. I mean, when I'm talking with my friends, there's just a general excitement that I have not particularly seen even from casual fans and a little bit less leeriness. And I'm sure that those go hand in hand, like the less leeriness you have, the more excitement you're going to have. That That's only natural, but I'm not going into this season fearing that the bottom is going to fall out. Now it could, it's sports, these things happen, but go back into previous seasons where the bottom did fall out. 2002, after the Sugar Bowl, when you start five and seven, well, you end five and seven, but you started one and four after losing at home to San Jose State. I think you're one and three at that point, and then Michigan beats you. You're one and four. Just an absolutely crushing way to start that season, and they never really fully recovered despite winning four of their last seven. Go back to 2008, Ron Zook. Go back to 2010, 2011, where you won seven games each year, but it didn't really feel all that great, and people were checked out. It was Ron Zook. Point being, the guy at the top matters. And when you have confidence in a coach now entering his 15th year, as a D1 Power 5 level head coach, or as they are now calling it, Power 2, which I totally agree with. I mean, the the Big Ten and SEC are really the two big dogs going right now. You should take solace. You should take confidence in that fact. So as we get ready for the 200 level in our fifth season, it's a far cry from 2019 when Bright Weiser and I called it a most consequential year. That was kind of the mantra. And when it concerned football, it was Lovey Smith's fourth year, and it was make a bowl or bust. And they made a bowl. Who'd have thunk it? And then COVID happened, and uh, really, we all know that we know the rest of the story. But I've been a big Brett Bielema fan since the moment he was hired. I, I kind of was talking myself into it the week leading up to it. I was going through and, and pouring through old YouTube clips of interviews and really having to challenge conceptions or preconceptions I had about him when he was a Wisconsin coach. I thought he was maybe this kind of boorish individual, big guy, just kind of a jock. And plus, he was a Wisconsin Badger, and that was many negative points in my mind. But actually, if you think about it, it's really kind of been the perfect fit. For a football program that needs a chip on their shoulder, that needs some sort of edge, that needs to feel like they're the underdog, though we don't need much help with that, being Illinois football fans. He really embodies a lot of those qualities, in addition to being very shrewd behind the microphone, I think being very open and honest when it comes to football especially, and if I may, for just a second, get a little sugar, Cody, and uh, I don't know, a little bit too sentimental perhaps, being 36 myself and getting older and trying to get better as a person, I know a lot of the criticisms that were levied towards Brett Bielema coming in had to do with these sort of iffy personal life issues that in Arkansas, he had a reputation for partying too hard. And we know that was the same case at Wisconsin. He might still like to party for all I know, but family man, he's got two kids. Listen, I I don't want to put too much emphasis in that, but I do think that depending on the point in life in which you are at, you are either your best self or you're still trying to figure things out. And I think a lot of indications point towards this being the best version of Brett Bielema personally, and I can only think that that filters into his professional life as well. Look at the staff he surrounded himself with. Look at the the comfort with which he operates at his job. I mean, if this sounds like I'm kind of kissing his ass, I, I, I won't necessarily disagree with that. But I think it's because of genuine, unadulterated excitement and confidence that unlike previous experiences, which Alani fans have many, of getting to a mountaintop, so to speak, and then immediately having the rug pulled out from under you. I'm not worried about that. And that 
that's a load off. Now, I'll be nervous when Toledo comes to town because that's a good MAC team that's probably going to win the MAC again. And I'll be nervous that next Friday night at Kansas. Weird game, weird matchup, weird time. I don't like it. Getting a win, any win in that would feel amazing. And I'll be anxious, excited, all of those things when Penn State comes to town in week three for the big noon kickoff. But amidst it all, for the first time in my life, I feel like Illinois football is actually truly going in an upward trajectory long-term. And if sustained success is something that we've been longing for, it feels like we're closer to that than ever and that it actually isn't that far out of reach. So with that positive mindset going forward, I'm all about, listen, over the years, people have rightly sometimes criticized me for being too negative when things aren't good. I know the way last basketball season ended, I was a crotchety bastard. But when things are good, as you remember last October, by the way, the biggest month our podcast ever had. Why? Because Illinois football fans, they love it. When things are good, they come out of the woodwork. And I understand why they would go back into the woodwork when they are not good. But as we enter this season, isn't it fun and refreshing and exciting to know that the arrow is pointing up? So before I get too far into this and before I get to the sponsors, I want to let you know that as this first episode of the new season, we do have an interview with Barry Lunny coming up. It was a 30-minute interview that I conducted with him a couple weeks ago. Kept things very macro going into the season. Um, a few, I guess, micro X's and O's type of questions, but really I wanted to get more into his overall identity as a play caller. And I, I got to really thank him for not just giving me the time, but also really being engaged in the interview. You know, it was via Zoom, so we're looking at each other through a computer screen. And I thought that his responses were very thoughtful, and um, I, I just appreciate that. You know, some interviews with coaches and athletes can be a bit like pulling teeth, but it was not at all that with with Coach Lunny, and uh, appreciate that, and I hope you enjoy that. That's coming up later in this podcast, but before we get too far into it, got to let you know about our sponsors. We got a new one. We got some of our classic friends as well, so start with DP Doe. Been working with these guys for 10 years. Steve and the crew with DP Doe. Delicious calzones that were a fixture when I was in college. Still there, I think, what? how many years has it been now? 17 or 18 years that they've been on campus. So here's what you do. Go to dpdo.com, get a custom calzone with any topping you want, or one of their favorites, like the Maui Wowie or the Buffer Zone, and their signature marinara dipping sauce. I think they got a few other sauces available as well. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana, piping hot calzone right to your doorstep, or as I often say, and I hope we get to do many times this football season, have a celebratory calzone as Illinois marches towards Indy in early December 2023. That is dpdo.com. Also, Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. Been working with them now for two years on the podcast and also as one of their, what would client be the word? Yeah, we use their services because they're really, really good at what they do. They checked our furnace last fall. They checked our AC back in the spring. Both of them have been operating tip-top shape. We trust their technicians. Cody and the guys over Dogtown are people that you can trust as well. Give them a call today at 217-841-4728. That's Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing at 217-841-4728. Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing, your home's best friend. State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com for life, auto, home, business renters, you name it. Brian is my guy, and he can be your guy as well at brianismyguy.com. Texted him yesterday. We're going to get him on some podcasts, especially the second half reaction podcast, which we'll definitely do during away football games. 
I'm going to be at all the home ones, as I'm sure many of you will be as well. But Brian has been our insurance agent now for three years, I think, coming up on. Uh, we trust him and his staff. They are super quick at getting back to you. The communication is excellent, and you get great State Farm prices to boot. That is Brian Hansen, your State Farm agent at brianismyguy.com. Finally, want to introduce a new sponsor. Luke Owen met him at Isaac Ambrose's wedding last summer. Had a great conversation with him at the wedding. He's a listener of the show and the owner of Owen Builders LLC. So this is what Owen Builders LLC can do for you. They are fantastic at decks and patios, home additions, interior remodeling. You can go online to owenbuildersllc.com for a gallery of some of their work. You can also give them a call at 217-369-5983 for Owen Builders Servicing East Central Illinois, they're relatively new in the business as a company, but the experience that their staff has is second to none, and they're just quality workmanship. I'm looking at the pictures and thinking, okay, what's the next home thing that we can do? Because they will be the guys that I call. So Luke, Owen, appreciate you and appreciate Owen Builders for joining our, would it be cliche to say team in 2023? I mean, here's the deal. If you want to support the podcast, support our sponsors, DP Doe. State Farm agent Brian Hansen, Dogtown Heating and Plumbing, Owen Builders. Really appreciate them. Okay. Before we get too far into this, wanted to start with Illinois uniforms. I'm one of those weird guys that actually really gets into the uniform game. And I have to say that overall, I'm impressed with what uh, they ended up with. Now, I'm still getting used to the vertical shoulder stripes myself, but it is unique. I think it looks really good in the blue jersey. And also, if you've been able to see online, like gamedayspirit.com, they have these. And a few other stores are starting to get them in stock. They have an orange jersey. And I'm really hoping that emerges sometime this year. Maybe they're just kind of keeping it quiet. And for homecoming, they'll bust out the orange jersey. I'm not sure, but that looks pretty sharp as well. So what they ended up with was a very simple redesign. Nothing too fancy. Maybe it only lasts for three to four years. But I do like the traditional look. Very simplistic. The colors really pop, and um, yeah, I would say an 8 out of 10. I don't know what a 10 out of 10 would look like for someone that's as into uniforms and jerseys as I am. I'm not one that's good at designing them or even being able to tell you what, why this jersey looks better than that jersey. But overall, I thought it was successful. The home jerseys better than the away jerseys. We'll see what combination they go with. I think the orange pants look really good in any combination, and the helmet is the star of the show. Simple, yes. But what they went back to, if you look close, the helmet has the middle stripe like they did back in the Kirk Kittner in the 90s era. And then they just replaced the New York Giants, Illinois, with a block eye. It is clean. It is crisp. I love all the block eyes that are throughout that jersey. So simple is good. Well done. Eight out of 10. It's going to look good on the field. But we are not a uniform watch kind of podcast. Wouldn't pretend to be. We are here to talk about why Illinois football will be good in 2023. And I guess whatever your definition of good would be, that may vary. I'm thinking, you know, we'll get into the schedule itself, but anywhere between six and eight wins, we are not going to come away disappointed. And I think that is very, very reasonable. But it's also reasonable to dream a little bit bigger based on a few other factors. So what I kind of came up with was a list of three reasons why you should be confident in Illinois football in 2023. Now, I kind of mentioned the opening segment, why this is different than 2008. And we'll start with the overarching theme of that opening segment, which goes back to coaching. 
Brett Bielema is a very good college football coach. His record would suggest that. Um, there's not much guesswork going on here. We don't need to think, okay, what kind of coach are we looking at? We're looking at someone that usually fields a good defense, a complimentary offense, good special teams. They play close games. They never get blown out. And if you think about it, since the Virginia game two years ago, you have not gotten blown out. Oh, no, no, take that back. We're going to have to add the Wisconsin game, homecoming 2022. That was an embarrassment. Okay. Since that game, you've not gotten blown out. Listen, for Illinois football, that's not a baby step. That's a major step. Every single game last year, you could have won. And I know a lot of teams maybe can find themselves in a position where they say that, good teams at least. But truly, you were not the Tim Beckman 17 plays away from winning at Washington in 2014. It's not that. You were actually, oh, one or two plays away from getting one at Michigan. Or beating Purdue at home. Ooh. Or Michigan State at home, ugly as that game was. Or the Indiana game on the road. Or, of course, the bowl game, which I was at. So, with that in mind, what do we attribute that to? And I think you need to start with coaching. I think that the biggest thing I appreciate with Bielo in terms of his style, he seems to boil the game down into its essential components. There's not a lot of flash to the style with which Brett Bielema teams play. It's not necessarily a spread offense. The defense, even though it is gravitating more towards a five defensive back set, is really still kind of a standard defense. So what is it exactly? I think it's boiling it down to time of possession, um, keeping the opposing offense off the field to keep your defense fresh, controlling the clock and the field with the run game and high-efficiency passing, um, just not letting your special teams hurt you, which unfortunately it did in a couple crucial moments last year, though it did end the year fairly well. All of that is to say, when we talk about sustainable, simple is sustainable. And Brett Bielma seems to understand that, especially in the context of the Big Ten. Now, things will get even more interesting when a USC and a UCLA come in. All of a sudden, now you got two more high-quality teams. But I don't think they're going to just waltz in and dominate in the Big Ten. I don't think they're going to waltz in and then smoke Illinois every time they play them. Because Illinois now is starting to embody the sorts of things that drive you nuts about the Iowas and, in previous years, the Wisconsins of the world. That consistency and simplicity all built on line play. He has structured this entire rebuild, if you will, even though it's been a pretty quick rebuild, behind a good offensive line and a good defensive line. And what you're looking at with this team is two of your strengths are the lines. You have one of the best defensive lines in the country. You have one of the best offensive lines in the Big Ten. That's a start. And what that does is it really takes a lot of pressure off those other positions, which just by nature are a lot more finicky than linemen. A good lineman is going to do his job. A good quarterback is going to have a crappy game every now and then. A good wide receiver is going to have a drop. A good running back is going to have a fumble. Chase Brown, love him. Had some really crucial mistakes. Well, let me say a crucial mistake in the Michigan State game specifically. Lyman, though? Not so much. So Brett Bielema, the simplicity with which he kind of has designed this entire thing. The overall, what would the word be? Uh, just... The control with which he has over basically every aspect of this program and also the way in which he communicates about it seems to indicate that he delegates to a staff that is really good at what they do. 
So I'm lumping this first bullet point, the three reasons why you should be optimistic going into 2023 and beyond, simply coaching. Brett Bielema at the top, you should feel confident in that. Aaron Henry, I feel really good about Aaron Henry. I think that what you're looking at is someone that got to learn under Brett Bielema in the first place, got to learn under Ryan Walters, who very well may be a boy genius <laughs> as a defensive coordinator, now a head coach. It very well may be the case. But it may also be the case that Ryan Walters was elevated by coaching with the likes of a Brett Bielema. What Aaron Henry did with that defense, absent three guys in the secondary in that bowl game, I thought was extremely impressive. It was 19-10, to 10, but keep in mind that was a late touchdown. There was no fault of the defense in that game. 12 points, four field goals, or what was it? Two field goals and an, um, two field goals and a touchdown late. And boy, that touchdown from Mississippi State, the catch in the back of the end zone, was by the skin of their teeth. That defense did not give much at all that day. I'm encouraged by that. <clears throat> Offensively, we're going to talk to Barry Lunny later, of course. We could say that's the big question mark, and I think it's okay to do that. I think Barry would accept that himself. But he does have a good pedigree. We saw that there were major positive steps of the offense last year. And while they did finish 94th in scoring offense, or 91st in the 90s, that's not great, certainly. And it helped that you had the number one scoring defense. I do expect overall output to improve offensively this year. How does that work when you lose an efficient passer like a Tommy DeVito and a 1,600-yard rusher like Chase Brown? Well, maybe patchwork, but I do think that any coordinator going into year two and any offensive line and wide receivers and, yeah, the, the running backs too, minus Chase Brown, all these guys have been in the system where that extra year is really going to help them. Of course, it comes down to Luke Altmeyer. But I think it's okay to also have some faith that Barry Lunny will improve. His career has suggested that. Second years for coordinators often suggest that, especially offensive coordinators. Coaching staff is very strong all the way down to the position coaches. A Bart Miller is your offensive line coach. Jamison is your defensive line coach. Just impressive all around. And oh, by the way, let's just add Jim Leonard to the mix as an analyst from Sundays through Thursdays. And then he can, I was listening to Jeremy and Joey and their most recent podcast. He'll get to go home over the weekends. He's not going to be in the box. He's not going to be calling plays, but he's going to be an extra voice in those coaching meetings Sunday through Thursday, and a pretty good one. It is turning into a coaching tree, if it isn't already, for Brett Bielema, and I think that just speaks to the overall health of your coaching staff. That is number one reason why you should be excited and confident going into 2023. Number two, and I talk with Barry Lunny about this later, chip on the shoulder. There was a great quote from Isaiah Williams that I heard Jeremy read in his most recent podcast. I guess this is a Big Ten Media Days. Isaiah Williams, but paraphrasing this here, essentially said that this team kind of has the best of both worlds. They have the chip on their shoulder because of losing four or five games at the end of last season. They have that chip on their shoulder, but they also have the confidence knowing that they could have won any of those games and that they could have... Listen, there are scenarios where they could have won 13-0 last year. I mean, it, it, nuts as it sounds, they were closer to 10-2 and than they were 6-6, six and six, right? I think we'd agree with that. That is a pretty unique position to be in. Chip on the shoulder and the confidence. And they do have both, and they have reasons to have both. I think we saw last year, 
through the 7-1 start through October, that that chip on the shoulder served this team well. And why wouldn't it? And I think we somewhat underrated the fact they went 5-7 and seven the year before, though really they probably should have went 6-6 six and six or 7-5. and five. The Maryland-Purdue games, you could throw UTSA in there as well. They were one more win away from going to a bowl game in Bielema's first year, and that would have been a really big deal. Rutgers at home. Oh, that was an ugly game. Was not all pretty back in 2021. But chip on the shoulder served them well through eight games. In fact, I think the Indiana game, the loss last year on that Friday night, that fateful Friday night in Bloomington, that only served to really galvanize that team. It pissed me off at the time, but I think it pissed them off in a much more constructive way than me saying, yeah, I'm not going to go in for the Virginia game. Really, they went on a heater after that Indiana loss, six in a row, and they looked great in every single one of those. And then Michigan State-Purdue at Michigan. Now, that sucks, and I'm not going to sugarcoat that and say, well, maybe it's good for the long-term health of this program to have went through that. I would have much rather have went 10-2, and made the championship game in Indy, and then have to figure out How do we conjure up a chip on the shoulder for 2023? That would be a better position to be in. But given that this is the position they're in and all the veterans on this team, I think it actually serves them well. The chip on the shoulder thing will not be able to be alleviated in the early going because you have a good Toledo team, a solid Kansas team on the road, and then a top 10 team in Penn State week three. There's no break, no rest. So for this veteran team that is looking to make good on the unfulfilled potential of last year, crazy to say for an 8-1 Illinois football team, but unfulfilled potential, yes. I love that. There's an intangible quality to football. It's what makes the linebackers hit a little bit harder or the quarterback maintain just that extra bit of focus or the running back to hit that hole a little bit harder. Wide receiver to cut a little bit faster. When it's the fourth quarter and these guys need just that extra oomph over their opponents, chip on the shoulder, cliche as it sounds, does matter. And if this team can keep that and maintain it, there is no reason to think they can't win eight games again, if not more. So that's number two, the intangible thing. You can't really measure it. There's no health meter that says you have 80% chip on your shoulder. But I have confidence that they're going to maintain that this year. And what I'm going to try to do as a fan as well is that when there is a loss, and there will be, probably a few, to not jump off the deep end and think, ah, we're screwed. Or, oh, the bottom's falling out. You can go back to year one of Brett Bielema. That team was dead to rights. They were two and four or two and five. Hell, they might have been two and six. I have to go back and look at the schedule, but it was not good. They made the comments about the offensive line. Brett Bielema did before the Penn State game. They won at Penn State. So... Knowing the kind of football that Bielema teams tend to play and how they often respond after losses, if there is one in the early going, I'm going to try to withhold getting freaked out. And hey, it could happen. It could. But that doesn't negate the fact that this team can still find their way to eight wins or so this year. And the chip on the shoulder will be a big factor. Now, the third one. I got coaching number one. Chip on the shoulder, number two. And number three, what I would call a favorable schedule. Now, is it necessarily easy? No. I would not go so far as to call it easy. But I'm going to take a page from the Lovey Smith playbook and break down this 12-game schedule into three three-game quarters. It's the only thing I'm going to borrow from Lovey Smith as an Illini football fan. Your first three are Toledo at home, 
September 2nd night game, 6.30. The following Friday at Kansas, another 6.30 kick. And Penn State the following Saturday, big noon or for us 11 a.m. kickoff. You got to start 2-1, and one, I think, to feel really good. I think they ultimately do start 2-1 and one somehow, some way. Now, of course, I look at that and say the easiest way to do that would be Toledo and Kansas. Duh. Things happen, though, right? Let's say you are 1-1 one one going into that Penn State game. I'm not going to hold anything past them. Now, you can overcome 1-2, and two, but I still think that this team somehow, some way, will find their way to 2-1 and one after the first three. If you're 3-0, and oh, start having a party. Start getting excited because they have every reason to when you look at the next three games. If realistically I say this team starts 2-1, and one, here are your next three. September 23rd, Florida Atlantic. September 30th, Purdue. On the road, night game, NBC. Another 6.30 kick. Following Friday, Nebraska at home. Another primetime game. I think you can go 3-0. and That is your, I don't want to call it a break. At Purdue, that team is going to be so fired up for their coach. I also like the Brett Bielema revenge sort of thing. I know it's more of a playful, fun revenge with him and Ryan Walters, but um, I think this team owes Purdue and that goes beyond Ryan Walters. There'll, there'll be some mixed emotions and maybe a few rocky moments early in that game, but let's say you go 3-0. and I don't think that is crazy to say this team could start 5-1. and I think 4-2, and if we're factoring in another early season blunder, you do have a new quarterback in there. That's a big deal. 4-2, and even after the first six, you'll take it. I'm just saying that there's a distinct path to 5-1. and And actually, I think according to Vegas... They would probably expect you to go four and two, and we'll see what the Kansas spread is. That Kansas one, I'm not sure. But I think Vegas will say you go four and two. I'm going to sit here and say you go five and one. Here's the toughest stretch of the season. Games seven through nine are at Maryland, Wisconsin at home for homecoming on my birthday. How exciting is that? October 21st, bye week, and then Minnesota on the road. Let's just say. You go one and two. Okay, so we're, we're, we're evening things out a little bit here. You could go 3-0. and You could go 0-3. Let's just say one and two to, for the second half of the season. Be a little bit more cautious, right? That would put you, according to my projections, at 6-3. and three. Now, you were 6-3 and three last year, or 7-3 and three last year. Didn't feel as good when you started 7-1. and one. That kind of 6-3 and three you'd be able to live with because the last three games of the year are Indiana at home, Iowa on the road, Northwestern at home. There's eight and four if you think you're going to lose at Iowa. It's eight and four. I don't know. Um, I, I'd live with that. I'd live with seven and five. I think six and six, and this speaks to the health of the program, um, would honestly be kind of a, a disappointment but you'd make a bowl game, so you'd take it. And I haven't even addressed the potential for more than eight wins. So, point number three. The schedule is still overall favorable. You don't get Ohio State or Michigan, even though you damn near beat Michigan last year. The crossover games are not easy against Penn State at home or at Maryland. Those are probably the third and fourth best teams in the Big Ten East. Indiana, basically as much of a gimme as you're going to get. 
I mean, given the choice between Indiana or Rutgers this year, I'd probably take Indiana. Northwestern, you're gifted a gimme win for the foreseeable future. Take it. But all that is to say, number one, coaching. Number two, chip on the shoulder. Number three, favorable schedule. And I want to close the opening segment on this before we get to Barry Lenny. When we talk about expectations, I know what I would be okay with. Seven, eight wins, I'm feeling really good. I would have said the same thing last year. I'll say the same thing this year because even with all the guys coming back, you did lose some major pieces. Let's not overlook that. I don't think anyone is. So I would understand why Illinois is not the sexy pick to win a Big Ten West title. However, look at your competition. We can toss Northwestern out of there. No. Purdue, no. Nebraska, not this year. Not yet. That leaves three. Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa. Minnesota, P.J. Fleck is a good coach. Does not scare me and does not seem to me like a threat to win division titles. I think they go 7-5. and five. That's pretty damn good for up there. He's got a consistent thing going. Are they a threat for the Big Ten West? No. Move on. That leaves Wisconsin and Iowa, the usual suspects. Now, there should be excitement up at Wisconsin. Luke Fickle is a very good coach, and he'll get them humming pretty quick. How quickly, though, I don't know. When you're trying to instill this high-octane offense with guys that were recruited initially to run more of a pro-style Wisconsin offense, even with the acquisitions you got in the transfer portal, I don't think that happens overnight. There will be slip-ups. Also, I don't know how good their defense is. Their defense really slipped last year. I'm glad Jim Leonard's on our staff as an analyst, but their defense really did slip last year. I don't know how great the talent is up there right now. If we're saying Wisconsin's going to win the Big Ten West, we're kind of going off of what we thought of Wisconsin back in 2018, 2019. But it's 2023, and it's a new coach, and there's a lot of work still left to be done. I don't buy them as a threat to win the Big Ten West. That leaves Iowa. They very well could. I know it's a boring pick, but it's a safe pick for a lot of people. I get it. Defense is going to be good. Offense can't be any worse. And I think they still won eight games last year. That's now the floor for Kirk Ferentz. And that is really remarkable. And that's why he has a long enough leash to keep his son as the offensive coordinator. But if you think, truly in your heart of hearts, that that Iowa team is going to go off and rattle off a a 9-win, 10-win season, and they lost some key guys on the defense too. I don't know who the heck their skill players are. I just don't think you take an abysmal offense and make it serviceable in one year. And I think that's what they would have to do in to be the true favorite to win the Big Ten West. All of that to say, there is no true favorite in the Big Ten West. So when Big Ten Network, three of their four guys, according to Jeremy, it sounded like Jerry DiNardo and Howard Griffith and Mike Hall, all predicted Illinois to win the Big Ten West. I won't tell them that they're crazy. In fact, I get the argument. Now, this is kind of a nice place to be in. I'm not entering the season with a Big Ten championship or bust mindset. It's funny how that works, right? With basketball, when they got the one seed and they got the tournament, Big Ten tournament championship, the next season somehow was still all about win the Big Ten title, win the Big Ten title. It was on my mind. It weighed on me as a fan. It sucked a little bit of the enjoyment out of it. And when they won the Big Ten title against Iowa at home, it was both euphoric and a huge sense of relief. 
Illinois football, it's the ad- advantageous thing of, you know, we don't expect as much from them, and that's okay. Historically, they haven't given us as much as basketball. But I get to enter this year okay with seven or eight wins. If you told me right now that on New Year's Eve I can spend that in Nashville for the Music City Bowl, which is kind of what I was hoping for when the bottom fell out last year, even though my wife and I had a great time in Tampa, and we would do that bowl again. That was a blast. But I'll take the Music City Bowl. I'll take seven and five or eight and four playing an SEC team in Nashville on New Year's Eve. I, I, I'm not greedy. I'm not greedy as an Illini football fan yet. I would love to get in the position one day where I can afford to be greedy. But it's not crazy to think that this team can, perhaps should, compete for a Big Ten West title. Now, two of the three supposed favorites, Iowa and Minnesota, those are road games. And that's tough, but you've already had success on the road against Minnesota. Brett Bielema's teams have just performed well on the whole against Minnesota. Iowa, that might be a big one. Buy your tickets now for that one if you want. It's going to be cold as all get out in Iowa City on November 16th, but that could be a very consequential game. In fact, I'd be kind of surprised if it wasn't. Even if you had to play spoiler, like let's say Iowa does in fact have a better than expected season with Cade McNamara just slinging the ball left and right. Their best quarterback since what? Ricky Stanzi. I don't know. All that to say, there is a chance. What a nice position to be in. Now, I could go on and on, but we got a whole month to do that. We're going to have some fun this month. I'm going to try to line up some other guests, some old friends that will come back and join us and kind of talk about what our expectations are for this season. You can feel the buzz kind of growing in the community in a way that it hasn't in a long time. And as a lifelong townie, I love that. But before I get too far into this and before I just rattle for an entire hour, I'm excited to bring you a 30-minute interview with Barry Lunny. So a couple weeks ago, SID helped set this up. Appreciate Brett Moore over at the uh, football office and did a Zoom interview with Barry. This is during their dead period, so I know we had some time to kill, but appreciate it nonetheless that, you know, we about get started and we I checked with him, hey, is like 30 minutes okay? He's like, oh yeah. He's like, I mean, however long you want to go. We went 30. I didn't want to keep him for too long. And, you know, I started kind of on a script, but then what limited interviewing experience I have, I mean, I did plenty back in 93.5, but the best interviews, you tend, you got to kind of adapt, you got to listen, and then kind of come up with questions based on their responses. So the middle part of this interview is not really on script, and I really attribute that to him giving some thoughtful responses and leading the conversation in some other directions. So uh, I don't want to say something like, oh, I gained a newfound respect for Barry Lunny. I already respected the guy and in, in some ways was less critical of him than I think some fan. I, I was certainly critical in moments. I don't want to don't want to lie about that. But I think overall, um, I didn't leave last season with that much of a bad taste in my mouth about Barry Lunny. I thought, okay, there are actually factors here as to why this offense kind of stagnated, and I think it might be beyond play calling. Not to take anything off of his plate or, you know, lessen accountability on him, but I do think the quarterback position, the inability to go downfield, was really felt. I love Tommy DeVito. He will always have a place in Illinois football history. Come back to campus anytime, Tommy. We love you. But that inability to go downfield and stretch it really hurt them. And I think a reliance on Chase Brown, and I even asked Barry about that. Um, appreciated his time. I think you'll appreciate this interview. Kept it macro, kept it loose. 
So without any further ado, here is the 200 Levels interview with Illinois Offensive Coordinator Barry Lunny. Coach, compared to last year, how are you feeling as you enter year two as an offensive coordinator? What's the biggest difference between year one and year two? Well, I think I think it's it's a huge it's a huge difference. I mean, just for um, continuity, familiarity. Um, you know, offensively, our staff, uh, the bulk of our staff, stayed intact. You know, we obviously um, made a change at, at running back co- uh, coach when we we lost Corey, um, and uh, feel Recording really excited in about progress. Uh, really excited about Thad joining us and what he's brought to the table. So the staff has stayed intact. The system has stayed intact. We have a bulk of our players returning uh, that played a lot of football last year. Uh, they're going into year two of understanding the terminology, the system, um, the details. That's that's really where the growth happens, I think, in between year one and two is, is I liken it to, um, you know, when you're first driving, when you're 16 and you're first in a car, you know, like, literally the first time you're driving on your own, the only thing you're worried about is putting your hands on the wheel, turning the blinker on, you know, making the right stops and the right acceleration, staying the speed limit. And then fast forward, you know, a few years later, you're driving with one hand and you're listening to radio. Not that I condone any of that, but you know, like (laughs) that you're not thinking, you're not thinking about driving anymore, you know, once you start driving. And so I've always thought that's a pretty good comparison about football. Like when you get comfortable, like, in year two in a system or year three in a system where you've been doing it so long, like the the last thing you're worried about is what the call is. Like, you know, the call, like you're trying to do the, the higher level execution of those calls. So that's a really long answer to a short question, but I think that's some of the reasons that I'm really excited about the growth that, that, uh, that I'm hope, hoping to see from our offense and in, in going from year one to year two. Well, and you mentioned the word continuity. So the next question I had for you, the offense is returning most pieces, and you mentioned the staff as well, but also the players, the big difference being starting quarterback. So in what ways do these returning pieces on offense, from the line to the skill positions, how do they help ease that transition for whoever's under center? Yeah, I think they, they do. Uh, it makes a big difference. Uh, the fact that, you know, hey, last year, uh, you know, when we were in, you know, in the quarterback position, as far as like Tommy obviously won the job and played for us. And then Art, you know, was our backup for the majority of the year. But those two guys, they were in year one as well, you know. So like we were all in that thing together and there wasn't a lot that the guys could do around them to help elevate their play. Uh, and I think I'm hoping that with the, the you know, the offensive linemen that played a lot of football, the receivers that played a lot of football, the tight ends that played a lot for us, that they're, they're, um, their level of comfort and, um, you know, execution in the system in year two will help elevate that position around them because uh, they're going to, you know, they're, they're going to be a step ahead in some, in some regard because of their familiarity. So I think that's a, I think that's a positive thing for whoever going to be the quarterback is that you got a several guys that know how to play, know how to play in the system. They play a lot of football, whether it's been in this system or in the previous system. And um, so I'm, I'm hoping that that comfort can help raise the, the execution level of the quarterback. It's not often that I would point to the wide receiver position as one where you would say, oh, there's one of the leaders of the team. But Isaiah Williams is someone that's been with this program for a long time and has really grown into his role. Could you speak to his development, not just as a player, but as someone that other guys on offense sort of look towards as a leader of that unit? Yeah, he he is. uh, You know, obviously he's got a really unique story that I'm not even privy to knowing exactly all the details of it just because since I've been here, he's been in the wide receiver room. Right. But, you know, obviously going back to 
Um, you know, I think when he stepped on campus that I think he had a certain level of respect from the team just because of how highly recruited he was and how uh, recognizable his name was in the recruiting circles. And then uh, to see him transition to, um, you know, embracing like, okay, this is who I am I, as a football player. Like I am a, I'm a slot receiver. And I think he's really done a nice job of embracing uh, that role, uh, that position as something that potentially could open doors for him on the next level. Uh, all the while, um, as he settled in that position, has um, become more and more comfortable about being in that leadership role uh, for our offense. And so he's somebody that, um, you know, he, he he's not an overly vocal guy. Uh, he's not a rah-rah guy. But when he speaks, um, uh, people listen, and he speaks volumes by the way he plays and practices, but he also speaks words of encouragement and leadership into our offense kind of behind the scenes. And so uh, he's a guy that I'm very excited about watching his, you know, uh, this year is, you know, shoot, he had a really productive year last year, but I, you know, I, we expect, uh, and, and I know he does as well, more production for him. Now, would that be, uh, you know, the same number of catches? I don't know. That was a lot of catches. Some of those were, you know, just design, you know, handoffs or whatever that get credited for passes. But I think you're going to see him catch more passes and have a, even a bigger part of what we're doing offensively. Does that kind of go in with what you were talking about? The first year you're learning to drive and you're really just focusing on the basics. As a play caller, you get a whole off season to think about how you can utilize someone like Isaiah Williams even more so. Uh, I, I got to imagine there's a lot of creativity that kind of goes into that. And it's probably fun to just, you know, dream up the ways that you can use someone like him. Well, he, I told him last year that I said, man, you are going to be a pain. You're going to thorn in my flesh, man. Cause he's like, cause, and I, and I mean that in a, like a positive way, yeah. like it, 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 like he's a very unique player, right? Cause he can, he can play quarterback, he can play running back, he can play receiver. And so there's a lot of different ways that you can go about getting him the ball. And, and, um, it's kind of, he's a type of player that kind of opens up Pandora's box, so to speak about what you can do and how you can do it with him. So, I've actually got a cut up on my uh, on my laptop that I keep here that I'm doing the zoom on that just it's labeled uh, get it to one. Right. And so like when I see stuff on Twitter or I see somebody else on film study that I'm doing, I watch a lot of film in the off season about a bunch of different offenses, NFL, college, whatever. And anytime I see a unique way of getting getting somebody like Isaiah the ball, you know, I tag it and put it in that cut up because um because he's fun. He's a fun toy to have, you know, in that regard. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, he, I think even uh, going into year two, now that I know his skill set even better, uh, hopefully we can continue to find ways to get him the ball and let him flourish in our offense. He's certainly somebody that needs to touch it for us to be effective. You know, I was thinking about last year and why the offense was as effective as it was and the improvements that it made. And a term that kept coming up was complimentary football. And I wanted to get your thoughts on that, because when you know the defensive unit is capable of, you know, X amount of production or that, you know, they're going to hold the other team to 20 or under, does that change your approach? Uh, and in other words, if you knew that the defense was kind of like a sieve and they were going to give up 35 points a game, uh, how do you sort of, uh, I guess, adjust to that based on what you know the defense is capable of? Sure. Yeah, I think that's a fair question. And you know, obviously in our program, you know, uh, it's my job to operate the offense um, in, a, in a manner that 
meets the eye of the head coach, right? And so in our philosophy of what we're doing as a team. And to your point, we knew last year our formula for winning games and playing winning football was we had an incredible defense and we had a really gifted running back. And uh, we knew that going into most every game that because of how good our defense was that we were going to have a chance in the fourth quarter to win it. And that held to be true pretty much on every game that we played all year long. And, um, and so last year, our formula, that's what our formula was to play complimentary football. Now uh, I have no questions and, and very, very uh, confident that our defense is going to be outstanding again this year. We have a really good kicking game. Um, I feel good about where we're at in the running back room, but will will it look different this year? Will our complementary style of play have a different feel and look this year than what it did in 2022? I would imagine that it will. Um, as we find our identity and our strengths and identify what we're capable of doing on our side of the ball, um, I, I do anticipate that looking a little bit different than what it did last year. Let's imagine there's a spectrum, and on one side there is a set identity. So you talked about how you and Coach Bielema have talked about philosophy and everything. Um, and then the other side is sort of adaptability and, and kind of thinking on the fly. Do you try to find a balance during the offseason of, okay, this is what, in, in an ideal world, we would like to run everything just like this. But given our personnel, we have to adjust it like this. Yeah, I think so. I think that I think you have to have flexibility in – and I think that's becoming more and more apparent in, in our level as well as just the, the fluidity of your roster. Uh, and now we listen, we've been really stable, um, you know, here as, as stable as any roster in America, as far as just the lack of transfer portal or, uh, but we've certainly brought in new additions. Um, and so we've got different strengths, uh, you know, across the board uh, on our offensive unit that's, re that's coming that, you know, that we anticipate being in our unit for 2023 than what we had different in 2022. So I think you have to have flexibility, um, and adaptability. And uh, I'm very confident that this, um, this system and the way that this system is, is built, um, and under what coach Bielman wants us to do that we have the ability to adapt to what we need to be able to adapt to in order to win football games. And, uh, you might see, you know, this year, again, I, I do anticipate, um, you know, to the naked eye, will it look a lot different? I wouldn't think so, but I know internally, I think the way it's heading and the way it's going, I think it's going to have a little bit different feel for us this year than what it did last year. You mentioned that there was a lot of, well, not a lot of roster upheaval compared to other uh, football programs. And with this transfer portal as it is, what do, you that, what do you attribute that to? Why do you think that there are so many more players willing to stay put? Um, because we're in this day and age now where if you just don't lose players, that's a win in the off season. Yeah. I think, I think it's pretty easy. Um, I think they like it here. You know, I mean, I think that's, I think that's a, a great credit to coach B um, and the culture that he sets uh, in our program and the way that they're coached and treated uh, the way they're pushed and the way they're loved, uh, the way they're challenged um, and press, but also, um, within reason, you know, and, and so I think, I think you got a team of guys that like the way that they're being coached from the top down. I think you got a bunch of guys that believe in what we're doing. They saw that, um, you know, that we can piece together a football team that, um, is uh, very competitive and very dangerous. And, um, and so I think you got a bunch of guys that are on board with what's going on and that's always a great recipe for success. And so, 
Um, I think that's something that coach and our staff is very proud of the fact that we, uh, that, that we had so little turnover and, uh, and I think the, the additions we had are going to be really key for us. I want to ask you about the quarterback position, which you know a thing or two about. You, you started, what, 40 games at Arkansas back in your playing days? Is that right? I believe that's right. Okay. Yeah, I, know, see, I can't remember if it was 39 or 40, but I think it was 40. I think you're right. Regardless, that's pretty impressive. So as you look for quarterbacks to bring into the program, if there is one attribute that you look for before anything else, what would that attribute be? Well, I think I think that would be um, just the ability to consistently deliver the ball um, the way it's supposed to be delivered. Um, and you know, it's kind of a broad brush, but like, like you you have to have the ability to make the throw, right? I mean, when a guy's open and or when a guy's not open, I mean, the windows for openness at this level are small. I mean, you know, in the NFL they're like this, in college in the Big Ten they're like this, you know, in high school they're like whatever, you know, like. <laughs> like this. And so, but having the ability to consistently deliver the ball, um, or, you know, on time with accuracy, uh, with power is just, there's such a premium there. I, I can't make too many comparisons between what I do and what you guys do, um, with football, but I'm a musician. So when we play a show, I got to make a set list and I am very deliberate about what opens, what closes, what songs go well into the other. You guys had a lot of success in opening drives last year. And I got to imagine if there's one comparison between a musician and a coordinator, it's that you're kind of creating a set list with these scripted plays that start a game. Um, How much thought and time goes into the scripted opening drives that you guys have? Well, I mean, usually what we do is we, you know, we have a, you know, roughly like a 40 or 50 play uh, list that basically that we treat as like our our normal down, um, you know, our normal down playlist that we're going to use during the course of the game from first quarter to fourth quarter that, you know, as far as the situation is normal, meaning first and second down we're on schedule, here's kind of where, here's what we're going to do. And then, and then we sit down, um, you know, like on Thursday at the end of the week and I kind of gather ideas of everybody's kind of favorite hits and which ones they like best and how we want to jumpstart the game. And we kind of, I usually get about six to eight, uh, openers that we feel like are premium um, opportunities for us to really get the game started, and, um, and and that was been that's been a good formula for us. That doesn't mean to your point. I mean, we had a, some successful first drives. We had some three and outs too, you know. So it goes both ways. But but getting it scripted is something that we put some time and thought in together for sure uh, as a staff offensively, and then ultimately I kind of make the last decisions about how I'm going to weave those together for us, and uh, that's something that. You know, I've really looked at in the offseason about, you know, how to integrate that more, um, how to integrate that more, that process more even during the course of the game. And so it's something that I'm really uh, spending a lot of time in the offseason focusing on. I got one more music analogy. So if I had Eddie Van Halen in my band, I'm making sure that every song he's taking a solo. When you have Chase Brown in the backfield, I imagine that influences play calling. So how do you see... This year, I know you guys feel comfortable with the running back room. Um, how do you envision this year's running game in contrast to how it might have been called last year? That's a great. That's a great question. I think you know, knowing last year, um, yeah, we had Eddie Van Halen, you know, last year in the backfield, and you know, like there was a lot of just a common sense approach 
um, which kind of was kind of catch 22 a little bit, you know, for me as a play caller, to be honest with you at times, like I knew that Chase Brown was the be- was our best player on offense, you know, and but the defense also knew that Chase Brown was our best player, you know, and so there was always that there was always that struggle uh, for me is like when to use him, when not to use him. And ultimately, you know, we rode him really hard last year. And that was a good formula for us that did that at times we ride him too hard. Probably so. Uh, but as a play caller and as an offensive coordinator, it's hard to not involve your best player, um, you know, when he was having the type of year that he had. So, uh, you know, I think that was a good learning experience for me. And certainly looking back on it, there were some things I would have done differently. But all in all, uh, I think we approached the game the right way uh, with the way we played defense. Our spe- you know, all, we already kind of talked about that. So this year um, – you know, here, here's the deal. The non-negotiable for me and for Coach B, and this is why he hired me, and then we talk about philosophy and how we set set our, our vision on what we're going to play, is we're going to run the football. Like, that. that we, we believe that winning a championship, a Big Ten championship, uh, starts with running the football and, and defending the run, right? And so – um, that that's, and that's, that's what I believe. That's what the way we operated when I was at UTSA is we ran the football. And so we're going to run it. Um, now how we're going to run it and who we're going to be doing it with, is going to be different than what it was in 2022. We all know that. And so the running backs that we anticipate playing with, they have different skill sets. They have a different running styles than what we used last year. Um, I think we're grown at receiver and tight end. I think we probably could, you know, um, we're going to be able to spread the field out a little bit more. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, people, when they leave the game for us, and I'm not saying we're going to run the ball down people's throats. I'm not saying this, but I'm just saying that when you play Illinois, you're going to defend the run, right? I mean, you're going to have to defend the run, and that's not going to change in 2023. Uh, where we have to get better is is we have to get better about using that mentality to help us in the passing game create more explosive plays, right? And so we've got to put the ball down the field better. Um, we got to attack the field better. we got to stretch the field vertically better than what we were able to do last year. Um, and that, there was a lot of things that went into that last year, but I'm very confident that moving into 2023, we're going to be able to do that better. You mentioned Big Ten Championship, and uh, I'll be honest, after the uh... – win against Minnesota, we're back at the tailgate and I go to hotels.com and I'm like, okay, what is the nearest hotel to Lucas Oil Stadium? And I book a room. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, hey, everything kind of bounced Illinois' way those first eight games and then just enough went the other way in the last five or for the last five. So a question I guess I have is, is the way the last season ended, is that something that you just put in the back burner and say, hey, whatever, it was what it was? Or with as many returning guys that this team has, is that fuel entering 2023? Yeah, I think it's definitely fuel. I mean, uh, there's no thinking to it. I mean, I think we all realized that, um, you know, we, we lost some close games um, and, you know, in the fourth quarter that, you know, one, even one of those would have made all the difference in the world. Now it is catch 22, you know, but the thing is last year when we played predominantly most all the games we won other than Iowa, um, the Iowa game, the other games we won were really in the fourth quarter, we're pretty much in control. Right. And so where we came up short were the one possession games. Right. And so one scenario games, you know, a third down call or a fourth down call or a red zone trip or, and I'm just looking at it through the lens of the offensive standpoint, you know, obviously, um, 
you know, those were games that, um, you know, if we'd have played a little bit better, executed a little bit better, had better play calls that maybe a seven point, you know, one touchdown difference or one field goal difference would have gotten us in that championship game. So that's something that we all carry, uh, starting with me that even though we were pleased with where we got the position we got into, we didn't finish, you know, and we just weren't able to, there was a lot that went into that. Right. I mean, um, a lot went into it. I think we went, we shifted from being the hunter to the hunted. Right. And I didn't know, I don't know if we handled that, you know, uh, you know, as well as we could have in, in, in hindsight, um, you know, certainly me as a, a play caller and offensive coordinator, there was a lot of areas that we came up short in, in some of those close games. And so those are things that fuel me and fuel us offensively um, to, if we get in those situations this year in 2023, listen, we know, we know our style of play and looking at our schedule. I think there's going to be a lot of those games. There's going to be a lot of games in our league and even in our non-league games with Toledo and Kansas and quality opponents like FAU. Like We're going to be in some close games, um, and we've got to build perform better in close games offensively for sure. Just a couple more for you, Coach, but you mentioned uh, going from the hunt, hunter to the hunted, and I could sense that uh, oddly during the Michigan State game in the stands that day. It's like uh, – that was a team that was reeling in their own way after a really crazy week before that. And this uber confidence that swelled within the fan base too. And I think it was kind of throughout the stadium. How, this is a very, very general question, but how important is the chip on the shoulder? Because that seemed to work so beautifully. I mean, from the Indiana that Friday night, which just, man, that had to be brutal for the team. From there, it was just a, a, a six-game run that there were not many times that those games were in doubt, and I got to think the chip on the shoulder had something to do with that. Yeah, I think that's the way we have to play. We have to um, play with an edge, you know, and that's uh, an underdog mentality. Coach B says it's us against the world, um, and I think when we carry that torch, I don't think we necessarily lost our edge. I, I don't believe that. You know, I think, I think honestly, I think if you look just – just you and I talking here, and obviously there's other people who don't listen. I think, you know, Michigan State, when they came to play, I think I think we got their best game of the year. And, um, and there's no doubt about it. We got their best version from – we knew – I knew I knew in my mind we were going to get one or two versions of Michigan State, a Michigan <laughs> State team that either tapped out or they were going to rally the troops. I mean, yeah. that was a team that had just won 10 games the year before, you know, and had a pretty good coaching – a really good coaching staff and had good players and – and they rallied the troops and played their best game. And we did not play our best game. And when that happens in our league with the the parity, when you get somebody playing their best game against you and you don't play your best game, that's usually not a good result. Um, and, um, and so I don't know, you know, it, it would be easy to say we did lose, lose our edge and we, and we might have a little bit, we may have gotten a little overconfident. It certainly wasn't from, um, you know, us trying to breathe that into them, or I think anybody, the players talking about it intentionally going into that human nature is tough to overcome in this game sometimes. And so I think that was a real wake up call for our guys to remind our, our team uh, that, listen, we do have to have that edge against every time we go play a game. And if you don't, you're, 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 you're asking for trouble in this league home or on the road. Sure. Uh, two more for you, coach. I appreciate your time. Um, this one, is again imagine a spectrum on one side it's you got the macro goals of a big 10 championship and on the other side you have these tough non-conference games like a toledo which is picked to win the mac west or you have at kansas and it's funny how these schedules are made you know eight nine years in advance and you think ah kansas 
and then of course they're resurgent now and that's just how it goes which is fine but uh how do you hold those two competing ideas at the same time you know having an overarching goal but also knowing okay well we have this opponent first on saturday how do you balance that well i think it's really easy i mean you got 12 opportunities right and every if you look at our schedule i think every 12 of those games all 12 of them you look at them you say i don't think there's a game on that schedule that we can't win but then on the, on the same breath, I don't think there's a game on that schedule that the other team's not capable of beating us. And that's a unique perspective, you know? And so, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, obviously I was on the other end of the spectrum a few years ago when, when we, when I was at, U, at San Antonio and we brought a conference championship caliber team here and we played our best game of the season against Illinois and, you know, obviously won the game, but it was neck and neck, you know, it was a neck and neck, a close game. And I think our guys understand that uh, quality of team like Toledo, they're not, they're not coming in here to get a check They're You know, they're not coming in here just to start their season off to play a big team. They're coming in here to beat us. And, um, you know, I think, I think our guys understand that coach has done a really nice job of painting that picture, uh, you know, of understanding like, you know, what we're about to get into. I mean, we got to treat like a conference game. I mean, you got to treat all 12 of them the same with the same intensity and preparation. And if you start thinking about playing Penn state or Minnesota or Nebraska or whoever else we got down the road, then one of, you know, you, you better, you're not going to be ready for the what's ahead and what's immediately ahead. So um, very challenging schedule uh, to your point. I anticipate Toledo being a really tough matchup. And then Kansas, obviously, I think it's going to have a real similar feel to the, what the Indiana game did last year, you know, going over playing on a Friday night, a real lively crowd, uh, you know, a national televised game. Uh, so uh, the first two weeks, man, I mean, we, we're, we're going to have to be at our best uh, to um, to get a good start for our season. I, I saw when they moved the game to a Friday night in Kansas, I thought, oh, God, I mean, just remembering the Indiana game. But then I kind of flipped on it and thought, you know, this is how – in a, in a roundabout way, you can exact your revenge for that last Friday night game that you guys played. Um, but the cool thing about that, who would have thought Illinois and Kansas would be kind of a big matchup, nationally speaking, on week two of a college football season? Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I think it'll be an intriguing matchup nationally from that perspective. I think I think both programs are a similar plight as far as the respect that they've garnered um, you know, from a national scale of what's going on. I think people nationally recognize that both of those places have had, have, uh, probably been, you know, um, you know, for the most part been down, you know, there's oh, been yeah. years and peaks where it's been up, but for the most part been down. And I think they think that people see that there's two quality head coaches in those programs that have steered that ship in the right way. And I think it'd be a lot of people be interested in that one. It was obviously we're not going to look too much forward to that. We're going to try to focus on Toledo, but, I think the preparation and the scheduling and the time the, it being on a Friday night, uh, to your point, you know, last year that was unique for us playing a Friday night game. Uh, I think there's a lot of positives about that week two game being on a Friday. I think from last year, the experience we gained from Indiana, plus there's an extra day of prep for uh, Penn State in our first in our conference opener. So there's a lot to like about that uh, as long as we go win. <laughs> it won't be much to like if we don't win. Sure. Well, it is a fun schedule and it's fun to kind of uh, think about, like you mentioned, the Penn State game, the Wisconsin homecoming matchup or, or a couple of the marquee ones. But uh, last thing for you here, what is something that you see every day within the Smith Center that Illini fans don't have the opportunity to see themselves that tells you that this football program is heading in the right direction? Well, I think it's just, I, you know, people use the word culture a lot. 
we don't talk about culture. We have a culture. You know, a lot of it's fine. I've been on programs, I've been around teams that they talk about culture all the time, but they don't have any. And then I've been around people and organizations. The coach is not a big culture guy. Coach B isn't. But yet he, as far as I'm saying, like the words, like he doesn't say, hey, here's our culture. Like he, it, it, but, but everybody in our program knows what our culture is, if that makes sense. Like everybody from top to bottom uh, knows exactly what the expectation is, how we're going to operate, how we're going to treat people, um, what your role is, you know, and coach does a great job of just, you know, lining that out for us. And so I think uh, when you watch a media interview or you see our players talk or our coaches talk from the outside looking in, what you don't see is the day-to-day uh, relationships that we have, uh, offense to defense coaches, uh, offense to defense players, um, player to player, player to coach, player to trainer, trainer to strength coach. Like we just have a uniformity um, that I think is unique. Um, I, I don't think we have a lot of egos in the building. You know, we got a lot of guys that are hungry and want to pull the same rope. And so um, I think that's maybe what fans and people on the outside see come to life on Saturdays, you know, but there's a lot that goes into that, uh, you know, Sunday through uh, Friday. And, um, and so I think we have a really healthy organization inside of the Smith Center walls. Coach Lonnie, appreciate the time. Good luck with camp starting up in a couple weeks and uh, with the season approaching quick. It, it's like there was no summer at all. We're already almost there. Well, you're right, Mike. I appreciate it. And I appreciate the time. We're looking forward to uh, a 2023 season coming up. Awesome. Appreciate it, Coach. Thanks a lot. You bet. All right. That was Barry Lunny. Appreciated the time. And as I mentioned beforehand, the, the kind of open and engaged and thoughtful responses that he gave in this. That was a couple weeks ago. So that's why I said, hey, you got training camp starting up in a couple weeks. Well, as you listen to this podcast, you have training camp starting on Thursday, August 3rd. It's not going to be open to the media. You know, I, I start school on August 10th, at least for meetings and things. So I, I'm not sure if I'm going to make it over there or not. But even if I did, we wouldn't see much of what's going on. But you could really gather from that interview, especially the last answer that he gave, that the vibe, if you will, around the Smith Performance Center and around the stadium are very high. And as this whole podcast has kind of been about, there are many reasons why that is. And I'm feeling it as a fan. I'm feeling that same positive vibe myself. So appreciate his time. Appreciate you guys tuning in for the first 200 level podcast of our fifth season. You've noticed that our summers are light. That's kind of how it is going forward. And we make sure that our falls and our winters and springs are loaded with content. So here's what we're going to do going forward. There was not a YouTube video to go along with this. I had a hard time figuring out how to do that with a pre-recorded interview. So this is just going to be a purely audio podcast. But as we get kind of rolling here into August, we will get back to the YouTube channel. want to hear from you guys in the chat window. You can... Follow us or subscribe, whichever it is, on our YouTube channel where we have all the podcasts from last year, and we'll begin doing that again soon. Have a few guests coming up this month. Not going to say who, no, no one that you haven't heard from before, but some old friends that will be good to talk to as we get ready for this Illinois football season. And then as we get into the season itself, home games, won't be able to do the second half podcast because it will be in the stadium. Away games, we will do second half podcast whenever we can. Um, I already see that there's a few conflicts with that because, for example, the Purdue game. Did not think it would be a night game. Thought it would be a day game. Scheduled a gig that night. Won't be able to do 
the podcast. I'll probably have the game on my phone or a laptop in front of my little guitar thing. We'll have to figure that out. Maryland. At Maryland on October 14th, I'm going to be in Vegas. Going to see you 2 at the Sphere that night, but we'll probably find some place in Vegas to camp out, whether it's poolside or something to watch that game. But that's two of them right there. I think there's seven home games, so that leaves three road games that we could actually do second half podcast. So in lieu of that, what we'll try to do are podcast the day after. I think whether it's a home or away game, we'll try to get Sunday morning podcast, which we did most of last year, that effectively act as kind of call-in or text shows where we can hear from you, what you thought about the game from the night before. And uh, those are always kind of fun to react to, especially after you get a night's sleep. You can kind of gather your thoughts and probably put on a better show. So that's what we will do going into this football season. Plenty of podcasts coming up. I'm excited as I've ever been for Illini football. And I would imagine that a lot of you, if you're tuning into this podcast as regularly as you do, you're probably in the same boat as I am. If you want to talk me off of, not the ledge, but what would this be? If you want to talk me down a little bit, that's okay. Maybe I need to do that. Maybe I need to just kind of chill my role a little bit, but it's just hard not to really feel my oats as an Illini football fan in a way that I haven't following a successful year. I don't have that pit in the stomach feeling as I often have after successful football seasons. Before we get out of here, got to thank one more time our sponsors, DP Doe, online at dpdoe.com. For all the best deals and prices, dpdoe.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana, so get a piping hot calzone delivered right to your doorstep at dpdoe.com. Also, State Farm agent Brian Hansen, online at brianismyguy.com. Life, auto, home, business renters, you name it, Brian is my guy, and he can be your guy as well at brianismyguy.com. Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. Got to give these guys a a shout out for all the great service that they've done for Karen and I at the house. I mean, furnace checks, AC checks, what they've done is just make sure that we are in tip-top shape. You can give them a call at 217-841-4728. That's Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing, your home's best friend. And finally, our newest sponsor, Owen Builders, LLC. Online at owenbuildersllc.com. You can also give them a call at 217-369-5983 for patios, decks, home additions, interior remodeling, and more. That's owenbuildersllc.com. All right. We will be back next week. We got some maybe guests. We have some solo podcasts. We have a lot to cover before that Toledo game on September 2nd. So... Stay tuned to your podcast feed wherever you get us. Subscribe and follow. Ratings and reviews are a big help as well. Thanks for being, um, thanks for listening. What, what can I say? I mean, you got a lot of choices here with Illini Sports. So the fact that you make us part of your sports media rotation, it, it does mean a lot. And I'm just happy to be part of the conversation. I really am. Oh, and hey, in a month, we'll see you out in the tailgate lots with a big 200-level flag. You can stop by. You can get a sticker. I got a few more T-shirts I can sell uh, if you're into that sort of thing. So, yeah, uh, we're getting down to it. Basically, a month away. And uh, I can't wait, as you could probably tell. In the meantime, everybody, stay safe, stay healthy, and we will see you soon. It is the 200-level. level.